Today's scripture comes out of the book of Mark, chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, What do the teachers of the law say, or why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. West Bulls, good morning. Thanks for being here in person and online. And as always, I, I, I have to, uh, I, I often am reminded that when somebody contributes to the service here, it, it's not just part of our, our service here on Sunday mornings. It's really, they're, they're part of an invitation to all of us to not just join in for this hour on Sunday mornings, but really into the Christian life the rest of the week. And for that, that's why we thank them. So will you thank our worship team and Brad and Travis and Cassie for bringing us the service this morning? Well, if we've not met, my name's Nathan. I get to be the pastor here at West Bowles Community Church, and I want to start with a, uh, another question for you this morning, okay? Have you ever watched somebody just do things the hard way? I, I mean, like, parents, you're shaking your heads. Grandparents, you're shaking your heads. And youth, you're shaking your heads because we all think everybody else does things the hard way, Right? But as I, as I, I, ha, I had the same conversation three different times this week, and it was actually centered around the idea of a school fundraiser. Now, hear me, I am all for school fundraisers and helping schools out, but my economics brain kicks in. Let me explain what happened this week as, as I talk through this, this tendency we have to do things the hard way. You know, one of the reasons we do things the hard way, whether, or, or people do things the hard way, is because one, it's just fun. Isn't it? I mean, sometimes if a place can make it fun to do it the hard way and they can, they can disguise the hard way as fun, we'll do it. I mean, before I get to the fundraiser, think about, remember Funplex? And then it became Fat City and then it became Fun City. And now we've got places like Boondocks and we've got places like Main Event and we've got amusement parks. You guys remember this over at Coal Mine and Kipling here? So one of the things places like that know is that they can price every single prize that you would go buy at the store, they can price it in tickets, okay? And we have no, we don't know what a ticket is worth, right? A ticket is whatever work you spent to earn that ticket, that's its value. So what they would do is you want, I don't know, picks it, you want the skateboard, right? And so instead of saying, hey, you can buy this for 40 bucks, which is probably cheap by today's standards, you can buy this for 8,000 tickets, right? Does everybody see where this is going? Because they know how much money you are going to spend to earn 8,000 tickets is way more money than, than you would spend if they just said, hey, it's $40, right? And so what we do is we would, we would go and we'd play all these games and we'd just keep pumping quarters into the machine over and over and over. And by the end of it, you have spent $8,000 to get your 8,000 tickets to get the $40 skateboard, right? 
But if somebody were to say, hey, you're doing it the hard way, you'd go, I don't care because this is fun. Right? But, but at the end, you have, you have spent way more than you could have. Which brings me to fundraisers. Okay, the second reason that we tend to do things the hard way is not just because it's fun, but it just feels good. Okay, so this, this week I had a conversation with Lincoln. His school's doing a fundraiser. It was called the Glow Run, okay? And they would, you remember, they haven't changed much. You go, you get pledges, and you can get a straight donation, or you can get like a pledge per lap. So he comes home. He's like, I got to get $70 in pledges to get the prize that all of us are getting as a school. And I was like, what's the prize, Lincoln? He's like, a pop socket. I was like, okay, tell you what, let's negotiate. I'm still supportive of the school. I get that the pledges could help the school. But let me just, let me just level with you for a second. Let's say I give you $10 and on Amazon, you can go get three pop sockets. <laughs> He's like, no. No, all my friends are getting the pop socket. I want the pop socket. And I was like, man, they have their hooks into these children. And it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Last year, true, when, when it was her last year at this elementary school, the thing was those um, snap bracelets, right? So the prize was a snap bracelet. I went to true. I said, look, if I give you $10, instead of having to get $50 in pledges, what if I just give you $10? And look, here's a packet of 20 snap bracelets on Amazon because the things cost nothing to make. She went for it. She absolutely went for it. And I was like, okay, all right. So it, it can feel good. It can be fun. But the, the other reason that people like to do things the hard way and I believe this is what we're going to get into a little bit this morning as we look at the journey the disciples have taken in following Jesus, is we just don't think the way we currently do things needs to be fixed. It may not be the best way, it may not be the easiest way, but we don't sense any need to fix it. And this could be one reason why, and I believe was maybe the primary reason, that the disciples had such a hard time grabbing on to what Jesus was saying. Remember, we've, we've been journeying through the Gospel of Mark, and for chapter upon chapter upon chapter, he's gathering his disciples, and it's building, and there's a crowd following as well, and they're, they're seeing Jesus do all this stuff. And yet, you get to chapter 8 of Mark, and Jesus goes, oh, okay, so there's more to this. Yeah, to follow me means suffering. To follow me means to not latch on to all the stuff that you've latched on to so far because they'd seen the miracles and, and they had loved the idea that they could have all that. And, and as we learn from other gospels, a couple of the disciples were really after those, those uh, thrones to the right and left of Jesus. They wanted the glory that came with being associated with Jesus. But you get to Mark chapter 8 and he says, no, no, that's not what following me is about. In other words, if you're going to follow me for those things, you're, you're really doing it the hard way. And it might feel good, and it might, it might be fun. And you may not see any reason for it to be fixed, but it needs to be fixed. It has got to be fixed. And, and as I read this, and as I look in the mirror, and I think about just myself, and I think about us, I realize we can follow Jesus, but not really follow Jesus, can't we? Because we can miss some things. And so last week, you remember we were on the mountaintop with Elijah and Moses and Peter and James and John and Jesus. And they get a glimpse. They get to see the glory of Jesus there on the mountaintop. And it's probably adrenaline-filled and it's inspiring and it's amazing. And then in just a few verses, 
all that dissipates. And, and we read from Mark that all that was left with them was Jesus. That's all that was left with them. And we landed last week and said, shouldn't that be enough? But our human heart, you know what? We, we go, I, I want Jesus, but I, I like that glory piece too. Which brings us to this conversation that they have as they're coming down the mountain. Because there's a down the mountain aspect, isn't there? We talked about it last week. You get those mountaintop moments, but then it's down the mountain. Back into the valleys. Back into everyday living. Back into life, right? Back into some struggles. Back into some hardships. It comes up. It just happens. And Jesus' conversation with them, I believe, points us to exactly why the human heart prefers to follow him the hard way. And we don't see that it's the hard way, but when you get what he was getting at, it begins to unlock, really, following Jesus with a completely different posture and one that is a much easier way. And I don't mean like a life of ease, but I mean a much lighter way. I mean, when Jesus talked about the easy yoke and the light burden, this is what he was getting at. And so let's read this conversation. We begin in Mark chapter 9, verse 9. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone they had, what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Now, Jesus has been saying this, hasn't he? I mean, if you've been with us, Jesus keeps telling them, don't go tell anybody. Don't go tell anybody. Don't go tell anybody. And there was a specific timing issue for him because the cross hadn't happened yet. The resurrection hadn't happened yet. But why else would Jesus tell his disciples, don't go tell anybody what you just saw until after the resurrection of the dead? And the idea here is that you go tell everybody, you go tell this crowd that's only been following because they've wanted the miracles, you go tell them what you just saw, and you know what impression they're going to get of the life of Jesus, the glory of Jesus, of following Jesus? Is that it's just miracles and mountaintops all the time. And what that's going to do is it's actually going to explode the crowd to a size that Jesus is, is very literally going to have a hard time getting around, right? And going to the places that it had been ordained for him to go before he went to the cross. And so there was a real piece to it. There, he, he just knew that the human heart can make an idol out of anything, can't we? We will make an idol out of anything. We can make an idol out of God things. We can make an idol out of just anything. Any, any, anything at all. We saw it last week on the mountaintop. Peter said, you know what? Let's just live in this, Jesus. Let's just stay here. Let's build some shelters and we can just live in this all the time. And Jesus, actually God said, no, this is my son who I love. Listen to him. Don't grab onto this experience and try to stay here. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Well, it keeps going. <clears throat> they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. Now, they understood the concept of resurrection. Jews in that day absolutely knew about this idea of resurrection. But something was sitting in the disciples' minds. They were thinking, wait a second, Jesus, you just referenced your resurrection. And while on, on this side of the cross and on this side of the resurrection, we go, yeah, that's great news. They hadn't gotten there yet. And so what are they thinking? They're not hearing, you're going to rise from the dead. They're hearing, you're going to die. You just told us that you're going to die. And he had actually hinted at this a few times, and he'd said this before. 
And this was the piece that the disciples couldn't reconcile. They go, how does that make any sense? How does that make any sense whatsoever based on the glory that we just saw? And in your sermon notes, the first, the first fill in the blank is this idea that we, the human heart, has a very hard time. We have a very hard time seeing how triumph and trouble can coexist. Right? In our minds, those have to be mutually exclusive. That if one exists, the other can't. In, in the 1950s, Parker Brothers, the, the company that makes board games, they came out with a board game called Going to Jerusalem. For, for Christian families, okay? Going to Jerusalem. So it was set up like Monopoly, and you, would, you, you didn't have like a top hat or a Scotty dog like in Monopoly, but you had a little plastic disciple, okay? And so you'd move around the board, and, and you would go to the Mount of Olives and Bethsaida, and you'd be on the Stormy Sea, maybe in Capernaum. You'd get to Bethany, and, and if you had like really played it well, and, and you had a Bible with you, and you're looking up answers, if you played it well, you ended up at where the game ended was the triumphal entry. Now think about that for a minute. The game ends at the triumphal entry, There was no crucifixion. There were no angry Pharisees in this game. There were no demons. It was was the nice stories. It, It was the pleasant stories. That was all it got to. See, they had a game that had completely removed trouble. And if we're honest, while we giggle at this 1950s game, if we were to think about life, we'd go, yeah, that'd that'd be nice sometimes, wouldn't it? That'd be nice a lot of the time, wouldn't it? And so from this place, the disciples ask this question, that that when you pay attention to who they're talking about and what their hearts were set on all through Mark, it's very illuminating. Listen to the question they ask in verse 11. And they asked him, Why did the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Now, they would have known that the teachers of the law had pointed back at Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Side note, I I just, Malachi is one of those names that I just hope, I hope we get to eternity one day and God's like, it was, it was Malachi. It was Malachi. It was never Malachi, okay? I just, I just hope that happens. Anyway, side note. So Malachi 4, 5 In there, God says through the prophet, before that great and dreadful day of the Lord, I am going to send to you the prophet Elijah. And so when they brought this question up, no doubt they were thinking about different aspects of the life of Elijah. And if you know anything about the life of the prophet Elijah, there are some things that that are really, really attractive. There's some stuff that's not so attractive, but we tend to, uh, we kind of sanitize that out sometimes, don't we? When we think of, of something that's appealing, right? Because you had Elijah, you may remember he sat down by this, this water one day and ravens just brought him food. Like Chipotle just started showing up in his lap and stuff like that. It, or maybe you remember the showdown with these pagan idolatrous, pro, idolatrous prophets, right? Elijah challenges these pagan prophets of Baal to a, to a showdown, and they're trying to get this sacrifice to light on fire, and they just can't do it, and he's taunting them, and he's taunting them all day long, and they can't do it. Finally, he has the sacrifice just drenched in water, and fire appears and just lights the thing up, and he has all these pagan prophets slaughtered. 
right? We, we look at these aspects of Elijah's life and we go, yeah, that's triumph right there. Like, that's what I want. I want to be able to just override everything that opposes me in life. Later on, you have Elijah challenging authority. And then his, his, his big conclusion to his life on earth, he's whisked away into heaven. And that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And so the, these, these disciples are going, didn't, didn't they say that Elijah had to come first? Like somebody that was going to come and who was going to overrule and was going to conquer and they were going to set everything straight and they were going to put everybody in their place and they were going to make everything, like just clear the path for us and make everything smooth for your glory, Lord. I mean, isn't that, isn't that what they said? And see, there's this thing in us, before we move on in the conversation, there's this thing in us that we think, this is number two in your notes, we think our biggest and deepest issue is the chain of, or, or is the chains of, our troubles, right? I mean, when somebody asks you how you're doing, don't you stop and do a survey of how things are going in life, and, and we tie how, our being, how we're doing, to how things are going? It's subtle, but it's there. I think if everything's going free, if I'm trouble-free, then I'm free. I'm good. This is what draws so many to the health-wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel. We think, gosh, if, if this was just, if everything got cleared up here, and if everything got cleared up here, then I'd be good, and everything would be fine. It'd be a sign of God's favor. You know, if the leaders of our country would just fill in the blank, then we'd be good. If everybody else would just do like I'm doing, everything would be fine. You know what it is? It's a Band-Aid over a gaping wound is what it is. And yet, you have in this country and honestly across the world, there's a gospel being preached that says as long as you have health and as long as you have wealth, you are good. You are free. You have found the abundant life. And it's deceiving everybody, but it touches that part of our hearts that we think our biggest and deepest issue is if we just get free from the chains of our troubles. And now Jesus <clears throat> replies to him. He, he's going to get at the underlying cause now. Here's what he says, verse 12. Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. And I'm sure they and you and I, if we'd been standing there, we would have looked around and gone, it, it doesn't look like all things have been restored, Jesus. That's why we're troubled. You're, you're saying your resurrection's coming, but Elijah's got to come first. But why isn't everything restored right now? And what he's pointing at is actually Malachi or Malachi 4.6, okay? And in Malachi 4.6, we learn what that restoration actually looks like. God would send the prophet Elijah, a prophet Elijah, to restore hearts. See, that's the source of all things. The heart is the source of all things. Remember that proverb? Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do, everything humanity does, flows from that place. To be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Well, if the heart needs to be restored, then, then we're making some progress here. What's wrong with the heart, Jesus? What's wrong with the heart? See, to you and I, we think our biggest and deepest need is to be freed from the chains of our troubles. 
And yet God says your biggest, your deepest need is you have been sickened by your sin. By your sin. I don't mean the conscious choices that you are making throughout the day today. I mean, that can play into it. But the heart from birth was born deceived. Sin has gotten us that deeply. It's been there that long. I remember years ago, and I've shared with some of you, I call it the showdown. The showdown, okay? My wife had gone out of town, and so it was me and our three children. But I don't refer to this incident as me and our three children. I refer to it as me versus our three children, okay? Because for three days, it was me versus our three children. And I'll never forget, they like made a plan, banded together, got up one morning, and they were like, Dad, like stomp their feet on the, on the kitchen floor, donuts for breakfast. And I'm like, okay, I, I mean, I get it. I'm, I'm drawn to that. You, you might have me a little bit here, but you guys got to go to school. And um, yeah, it's kind of a good idea, actually, now that I think about it, because the teachers would have to deal with it, not me. But anyway, I said, no, here are your choices. You got fruit. We can do toast. There's oatmeal or there's plain Cheerios. Remember plain Cheerios? And I get it's good for heart health, but no kid wants plain Cheerios. Anyway, so these are the choices. And I'm expecting, I've like geared up my reasoning for them to come back at me, but I was not ready for what they said next because you know what they said? It wasn't like discussing the benefits of donuts and how healthy they can be and the lifestyle they can, you know, it's none of that. You know what it was? Where's mom? Where's mom at? I was like, don't worry about where mom is, okay? Here are your choices. This is what you can have. They like doubled down. Where's mom? And I went, that's it. That's the human heart right there, right? We have a heavenly father who says, here is my provision. And you know what humanity did? You know what his children did? We rebelled. We said, you know what? No, thanks, God. I'll take it from here. I know what's best for me. And we don't even understand that we've been sickened by our sin. We see the trouble. We see if you would just give me a better breakfast, if you would just give me what I want, then I'd be free. And he says, no, 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 you don't understand. You've been sickened by your sin. As the conversation continues, Jesus, knowing that this is the human dynamic, he says this, why then, after he says Elijah does come first, why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer and be rejected? And the reason is sin has hardened the heart. See, some would respond to that call of that prophet Elijah to restore the heart, and we'll get to what exactly that means in just a minute. But still others went, it's not the solution I want. This is not what I want. I want something better than that. I want what I want. Lord, you can handle my troubles. I'll take care of the sin, Lord. You handle my troubles. And we'll be good, right? Isn't that the agreement we want them to make with us? Lord, I got the sin part handled. You just handle my troubles. <clears throat> but I tell you, Elijah has come. And right here, they would have stopped. And they would have thought. And they would have maybe began to th- think about Elijah. Remember Elijah? He was frequently in the wilderness. He was eating off the land. You know, there was locusts, there was honey, he wore this garment of hair, he had a leather belt. Who else looked like that? John the Baptist did. 
Yeah, John the Baptist. In fact, when they heard this, the disciples would have instantly, probably instantly, or within a few moments gone, oh my goodness, it was John. It was John the Baptist. He's the Elijah that Jesus was talking about. And what was John the Baptist's message? Do you remember his primary message that he just said over and over? Repent. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven, for the kingdom of God is near. In other words, there's a heart issue. There's a heart issue. In the midst of all your troubles, you want to know what's really happening inside? There's a heart issue. Repent. And just to Just to punctuate what Jesus was getting at here, he continues. He says, I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. See, to to be a disciple of Jesus, and I believe what Jesus is getting at here, to be a disciple of Jesus, we have to understand about ourselves and the people that we encounter that we are after something, we are asking for something from him, that he didn't come to offer. We want to be free, just fix my troubles, Lord. Fix all that external stuff. And he said, no, I I came for something deeper. I came for your actual need. I came for your deeper, bigger need. See, what we want, what we want is freedom from trouble while in our sin, don't we? When I used to see this in, in youth group a lot. People would ask me, kids would come up and ask me questions like, hey, Nathan, I know, I know what, what the Bible says, but what do you think if I just, and I went, oh man, I think you know the answer to this, and you're just looking for me to be like complicit in whatever it is you want to go do, right? That's the heart. And before I point out teenagers, I should say we all have that, because it's what we want. We want freedom from our troubles while in our sin, and you know what Jesus gives? Freedom from our sin while in our troubles. That doesn't mean that sin is just gone, but it means it no longer chains your heart up. It means that there's a lighter way forward than our heart thinking that just fixing our troubles is the whole issue. Now, if I were to sit down with you and we were to have an honest conversation, I bet quite a few in here, myself included, would say, that's not the Savior I want right? We'd probably all say, that's not really the Savior I want. That's not who I hoped for. That's not what I pictured. I'd I'd like him to clean up all the messes in my life. But you know what it is? It's the Savior we need. It's the Savior we need. See, when we recognize that Jesus frees us, when Jesus frees us from sin while in our troubles, that should unlock some things for those of us who say, yes, I am following you, Jesus. It should unlock three realizations for us. And what happens is you begin to follow Jesus, but you follow Jesus in a completely different way. You follow Jesus in a way that, as he refers to elsewhere, is really the easy yoke and the light burden. Okay, first realization this should unlock. Disciples find a new aim, and this is in your notes, a new aim and true rest in this distinction. See, if the soul is weary right now, I mean, rest can mean a lack of activity and busyness in life. But if the soul is just weighed down and it's burdened and it's unsettled and it's drained, you know what that is? That's the result of trying to carry something that we were never meant to carry. 
That's the result of trying to fix and fix and fix. And yes, you, we can work on our troubles. But a lot of that's the result of thinking that God needs to do that. Meanwhile, our heart remains hard and we keep doing things our way. Number two, realization number two. Disciples are going to be misunderstood and rejected, which means constant reliance. You want to know what's true of you and I and every single person around us? We would rather be comfortable than convicted, wouldn't we? I mean, this message is not one that advertises or markets well. I mean, that's the great, big, huge paradox of of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? He tells them, go, make disciples, and you get this this notion that it's just like, it's going to just grow and grow and grow, and yet this is the message? I don't see how that would work, and I think God goes, yeah, that's the point. It can't work without me. And so to be misunderstood and to be rejected means we're constantly depending on, we're constantly relying on him to guide our steps and to provide the way. Finally, number three, for the kingdom of God. A disciple's troubles do not mean the same for the kingdom of God. See, a lot of times we make it really pervasive, don't we? Where we think, oh man, if I don't work this out in my life, if I don't figure this out, the kingdom of God is in so much trouble. No, it's not. It is perfectly secure. God can and will and is carrying out the plans that he set forth and set in motion. And just to remind us of that, think of all the people that we see. The messenger, the messenger who pointed at him coming. John the Baptist. He wasn't whisked away into the heavens like Elijah. No, uh, John the Baptist found himself in prison. Remember? And as he sat there in prison, he looked around, and he was looking at his own troubles, and he even had a moment. He went, okay, can can you... He got a couple of his disciples, sent them to Jesus. He said, okay, so I've spent all this time pointing at you. Are are you the one? Because this doesn't seem... This doesn't seem right. I'm putting those words in his mouth. But we'd be saying the same thing. If, if after preaching a message of Jesus, we end up in a prison cell looking around, likely sentenced to death, we'd be going, wait a second. I mean, we do this in our suffering, don't we? When things get tough. And do you remember the reply Jesus sent back to him? He said, look, the blind see, the dead are raised, He walks through this list of restoration. He says, look, John, I'm not going to get you out of there. I'm not going to get you out of there, but I can get glory from you being in there. And there's something about that at the heart and soul level that can cause all of us to go, okay, if I've got troubles in life, it doesn't handcuff God from doing what he's going to do. And I can find a greater peace and a deeper peace in what he's up to. Decades after this moment, decades after, we have, we have Peter. Peter who, you know, over and over, he's just like he doesn't get it and he doesn't get it and he doesn't get it. And, and he's been imprisoned by Emperor Nero. And he, he senses he's going to be executed soon. And he's aware that there are these false teachers that are teaching that Jesus, if he hasn't come back by now, he's probably not coming back. And so they they were teaching people, you can go live how you want. 
And so Peter addressed it. And here's what he said in his letter to the church in his own troubles and as the church was going to be coming under and was under persecution. He said, we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And listen to the moment that he points at. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So decades down the road, Peter goes, oh my goodness. This is why Jesus said, don't tell anybody until after he had risen from the dead. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Remember last week, we said that those glimpses of his glory, they may be few and far between, but they're to prepare us for coming down the mountain into the rest of life. And here you have Peter. Peter who couldn't get it and couldn't get it and seemed like he never got it, never got it, yet represents us so well doesn't he? Couldn't get it decades later. Now turning and encouraging others in their troubles and saying, you want to know what's greater than your troubles being fixed? Is the freedom that you've been given inside because of Jesus' death and resurrection. It's just so interesting to me, the two pathways of two disciples. Judas, who by all accounts was successful You know, with finances, he politically aligned himself to make something happen. And yet Peter just seemed impetuous and he just couldn't get anything to work right when it came to following Jesus. And and by all accounts, Judas probably looked very successful at the beginning. And Peter would have looked like a total failure. And yet over time, you think about how we associate Judas now, today, And you think about how we think about Peter today. You know what the difference is? One wanted freedom from trouble while in sin. And the other understood that our Savior came to give us freedom from sin while in our troubles. And it makes all the difference in the world when it comes to following. It's a lighter way forward. And so with that in mind, I'm going to invite the worship team back up. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father. Lord, you know, we could read these accounts so many times and just completely blow past them if we don't stop on them. And so, Lord, thank you for Mark chapter 9, just this account on top of the mountain and even the conversation that you had on the way down the mountain because we know your word wherever it appears, whether it's on top of a mountain, down in a valley, in a pit, in the mundane, in the busyness of life. We know that it's your word that you use, your spirit using your word to point us to your son and nourish us. And so, Lord, I pray for anybody who's following Jesus in hopes that you're going to fix all the troubles. Lord, we know you can, and you do at times. But, Lord, let us be reminded that your greatest victory and our greatest triumph is that you freed, you freed our hearts from sin. And that's something that when we can carry that, even in our troubles, Lord, we can experience a mountaintop in any, any, any place. And so we lift this to you, write this passage on our hearts this week. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.